I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. going on everybody happy wednesday as usual it's your boy adam zayla as usual i'm joined by my homie my compadre my co-host in crime mr will weir as unusual but a very welcomed addition we're reuniting the free man weave for at least 20 percent of the podcast like you know greg's got some stuff to do in a bit but my other co-host my other compadre co-host in crime i've messed that bit of the intro up we've got greg manakis with us too man so free man weaves in full effect what's going on guys America's favorite podcast right here. Three man <laughs> weave with Adam, Will and Greg. This is what people tune in for, man. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the times when we're when we're given the, you know, how else can you check us out? We always say Adam, Will and Greg, but like, you know, it's all, it's, all, it's not all the time we get to bring the three man weave together. So it's like, what is it? Captain Planet when they take the the rings and they put them together <laughs> and uh, uh, something, something happens. It's yeah, like, no, it was Captain Planet. No, you're completely yeah. right. You okay. had Earth, Wind, Fire, and then Love. They had to like... <laughs> what the, what the hell is Love? There. Like, how does that fit into everything else? <laughs> like, you've got all these elements. Literally everything. <laughs> you've got all these elements, these scientific things, and then it's just like, yo, it's just not booming. Yeah. So that's that's us. We're we're reuniting Captain Planet style here. Hey, real real quick though, yeah, Adam. My remember? Wife, yeah, Zoe just texted me. Sorry, my wife just hit me up on WhatsApp. Like, yo, I hear you talking about Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. We should we should have uh we should have a time, Adam. When you come to when you come to the United States, we'll sit around, we'll drink some whiskey, and we'll watch Captain Planet together. Yeah, as long as we don't end up like real drunk watching Care Bears, then I'm. I mean, like, yeah, I raised a daughter, man. I've seen a lot of Care Bears. I've seen a lot of My Little Pony. I, I can dig it to a certain extent, but not while I'm drinking whiskey. Now we we, we, we gotta do uh, we'll do like some type of live pot, like live stream podcast where it's we're watching Captain Planet, Mighty Ducks. I'm trying oh, to think if there's another any other movie that we've referenced and we've made the the references to how they're the Celtics or various basketball players. We're gonna do it in live time while watching multiple um, m- multiple different movies and, and comic books or whatever it might be. So full disclosure, like I don't know about you, y'all. I'm talking Texan slang. I don't know about y'all, but <laughs> I'm very big on like having a movie on to fall to sleep to, you know. So it's never something I've I've not seen before. It's always like a rerun. The other day it was. Mighty Ducks too. I wanted to watch. I wanted to see the Knuckle Puck, so um, I, ha- I had to go back and watch me some Mighty Ducks too. I need to do the trilogy now. I'm real big on like if you watch one, you have to watch all of them. But I started in the middle, so I don't know whether to go backwards and go to the beginning, or go and watch Charlie Conway in college just before he turned to Pacey over on Dawson's Creek. You know, I just don't know which way. I but that's the go. tough part about the Mighty Ducks. D two is by far the best one. Like it's a trilogy, yeah, but it's... but let's be real, D two is in a different tier than. Than D one and certainly D three. I'm not a big D three fan, but it's like D2 I have this argument with my wife, man. Like, what? Which one's better, Sister Act one or Sister Act two? I lean Sister Act two. She leans Sister Act one. Yeah, I go Sister Act two. I go. Whichever one has Lauren Hill. That's, that's Sister Act two. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the one. Lauren Hill, the goat, the goat. Right Love there. me some. Yeah, anything that Whoopi Goldberg's in, I'm there, dude. I'm like, I'm all, <laughs> I'm fully invested. Adam, the Whoopi Goldberg stand. I See, love it. for real, dude. You know how you know how I'm a teacher, right? I'm at I'm at I'm at a job right now, but it's star testing week, so like we I don't literally don't have anything to do. Um, but what I do is like I'm the I'm the cool teacher at school. You know how it is. So when kids come into my room, I'm always playing music, and one of the artists, my go-to artist that I play for them is Lauren Hill. 
like I don't play it often, but like I'll, you know, early on in the school year, I'll try and figure out like which students are going to be my favorites because I play favorites a hundred percent. And when I play Lauren Hill and it's not like, you know, I'm not going to play, um, you know, X factor or something like that. I'm going to play something that maybe they, you know, maybe some Fuji's, right? So maybe, maybe they don't know the Fuji. I'll play Fuji's and someone be like, Oh, mister, you playing Lauren Hill. I'm like, what am I really playing? Like playing Fuji's. I'm like, yeah, you're my favorite student. This is how, this is how it's going to be me and you best friends. You get A's the rest of the semester. All you got to do is show up and like talk to me about music and you'll get an A. <laughs> okay. I need to know this. Yeah. You know, when somebody's like, I'm a nice guy and you always respond back with, if you have to tell people you're a nice guy, then you're not the nice guy. Does that work when you say I'm the cool teacher? So like, if I say I'm the cool teacher, does that mean I'm not the cool teacher? That that's a fair argument. Um, I probably think I'm a lot cool, cooler than I actually am. I've been told <laughs> by a lot of people that I'm very intimidating and I don't know that like, who, in, who, in, who has told you you're intimidating? <laughs> you're my best friend. You've known me since we were two years old, dude. You've seen me at my absolute lowest. People here, I mean, you, dude, you've seen me when I'm when I'm like Mr. Manakis. I, I can take it up another level. When I'm here talking basketball, I'm not very intimidating. But I, I think that I'm probably cooler than, uh, and not as cool as I gave myself credit for. If that makes sense. Or as so you're giving yourself credit for being cool but that is still not enough credit for your level of coolness. Exactly. I'm like pretty cool. Oh, I, man, I'm completely <laughs> with this. I'm, I'm with it, man. The level of confidence is exactly where it needs to be right now. That's I got recognized at TSA, Adam. Come on. By the way, um, John McGoldrick, I called him James on this podcast. He DM me and he was in, his name's actually John, but he shouted us out. He said he loves what we do here on Celtics blog. Um, and he loves what we do uh, for 617. So shout out to you, John McGoldrick. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending that DM. So in my head, like, and this is true, in my head, when I'm in Boston, like, I'm going to get recognized at TSA, I'm going to get recognized at Donkeys, and I'm going to get recognized at the Garden. In the reality, I'm going to do the whole trip, not one person's going to know who the hell I am, and then I'm going to come home with a real big kick to the ego. That's how the reality goes, versus in my head, I'm like, I'm going to walk in and everyone's just going to block, you're Adam Taylor. I reckon that a soul will recognize me the entire trip, unless obviously I've arranged to meet them like you guys. Yeah, as I say, we're gonna, we're gonna arrange a meetup when you when you get here, so you'll you'll definitely have a, a few opportunities for that. Yeah, I just want someone to shout out from the stands. You know, like that happened to um Brendan. Someone shouted out to Brendan the other day in the Kings in the King Stadium. They were like, "Brendan, we love the podcast." <laughs> I'm like, man, if that don't happen to me at least once, and I've paid to be there, I'm gonna be really sad, dude. You know what would help us out a lot, Adam? is if we could get a Boston Celtics player to come on the pod. Because the Boston Celtics have been making their way around all of the national media pods. Jason Tatum on the Draymond Green pod. Um, you said Marcus Smart was on Zach Lowe's pod? Uh, no, Marcus Smart was on Chris Forsberg's pod. Okay, Chris Forsberg's pod. When are we going to get um, a top eight rotation guy? Well, let's give him t- anybody on the 15-man roster right now. Come on the pod and let's talk. And then maybe we could even do like the next time Adam is in the States, maybe we could even do like a live show with some Celtics players. And if we get that happening, Adam, we are going to get you recognized at the airport and throughout the city of Boston. Cause you're six, three dude, six, four people are going to be like, Oh my God, Adam Taylor, six, three, six, four. You're going to, they're going to think you're a player. Yeah. It's a big, I'm a big dude. I'm a big dude. Um, I mean, we've had players on the pod before. So it's, it's possible, you know, I mean, we had Sam Hauser on at the start of the season, 
but none of them are Marcus Smart defensive player of the year press run because that's what he's doing right now. You know, he was on ESPN yesterday with Malika Andrews. He was on with Chris Forsberg today. He was on with um, you know, he done <laughs> Greg pulled a face on the screen and I can't. I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dude, when I when I hear certain names, I I just have to make a face. You know, yeah, certain names do it to you. Wait, what was I'm the face that got you? What was the name that got you? This time? I'm not gonna say it. Adam knows. <laughs> so let me just run through it again. So he was on with, <laughs> he was on ESPN with Malika Andrews. He was on uh, NBC Celtics Talk with Chris Forsberg, and then he had obviously had his press conference where he was talking about two walruses going at it when he was talking about Emmy and Grant. So out of those three, there was only one name that could have triggered Greg's face to change, and it definitely wasn't Chris <laughs> Forsberg. <laughs> so, I mean, it could have been. I mean, I don't know. But, like, um, you know, Chris Forsberg's a friend of the show, so we'll have to be careful about allowing Greg and Chris to come onto the show at the same time by the looks of things. <laughs> but Smart's on a pressure run right now, man. I mean, he's doing – um, he, he's everywhere. He's ubiquitous. I love that word. Ubiquitous. Ubiqu- what did I say? Ubiqu- ubiquitous. Ubiqu- ubiquitous. <laughs> ubiquitous, yeah. That's what I said. He's living in ubiquity. Yeah, he's he's living in liquidity as well because at the moment that dude is he's straight water. It was watertight. See what we're doing now. Um, <laughs> I don't know what we're doing, to be quite honest. <laughs> so now, I mean, look, man, he's been everywhere. Uh, and the, the fun thing is he's not just talking about himself. Like, I think that's... Um, a huge, huge, like, point to point out. You know, dude's on a press run about his own defensive player of the year kind of angle. Mm-hmm. And, like, on ESPN, he spent most of his time talking about Brown and Tatum. I have the full yeah. quote in front of me right now. I'm not going to read it because it's long, but a lot of it was about Brown and Tatum. I mean, I think for, for Marcus Smart, you know, his his defensive player of the year case is built on team and that he's the leader, you know, of that defensive unit. And that's kind of to the point that he's been making now for a couple of weeks, maybe going on a month or so when he quote te- tweeted, um, I can't remember what Seth Parton now originally said, but it started with him then bringing up like, Oh, this must be, unless your name's Gary Payton, there's like a fine line in the, in the uh, defensive player of the year voting that you can't win this as a guard, unless your name is Gary Payton. Cause it's been since the 95, 96 season that a guard has won it. And Marcus, you know, I mean, he's going to be a finalist. He's going to be right up there. I don't know if he's going to, win it he's certainly deserving but because the you know with defense the metrics are so hard to kind of parse through as to what actually you know validates a defensive player of the year candidate and they are very much skewed towards rebounds blocks for big men and and you know it's just a little bit easier for a casual viewer to see the impact big man has on a game versus a guard or even a wing player in most in most cases you know marcus is is you know pushing his agenda forward with this and i think team is going to be his big push versus look at my, you know, look at my stats that back it up. Yeah. And I think with Marcus though, maybe it's because we watch him all the time. And maybe it's because like the three of us, you know, study the game and talk about the game so much. But I feel like for Marcus, the argument that people don't recognize like what he's doing and what his impact is as much as they do with the big doesn't even hold true for Marcus. Right. When you watch Marcus Smart on the court, you see the impact that he makes because not only does he play solid positional defense that people might not recognize and his ability to fight over screens and draw offensive fouls and things like that, but he also makes the hustle plays that do stand out in highlight reels, right? So I don't even think that argument even makes sense with Marcus because he has those plays where it's like, okay, Marcus Smart just did three amazing things in a row. Um, you know, his face just slammed off the ground. He's missing a tooth and he's still like, 
dove and saved the ball and then hustled back and did all the, you know, like he does all the things that only Marcus Smart can do. And I watch a lot of basketball. I do not see many guards in the NBA have the type of like actual visible impact that Marcus Smart has. They have, they have a lot of the solid positional stuff, but they don't also have that X factor. And Mar- they might have the X factor, but not the positional stuff. Like a Pat Beverly, right? Pat Beverly, when you watch him play, he does some things that stand out, but he's not like the best defender in the world. You know, he's good. He's good, but he's not the best defender. Marcus Smart, you, there's a real argument that he is the best defender in the world right now. Yeah, I mean, ugh, man, I don't even know if it's much of an argument at this point. Like, I, I wrote something about this the other day where I was very much on an opinion of, hey, Marcus Smart's not only winning, like, DPOY, but he's also, like, ushering in this whole new generation of guards that are going to be, like, super locked in defensively because not everybody's going to be an elite scorer or have elite fast-twitch muscle fibers to make them a ridiculous drama out level athlete. Most dudes are going to have to come in and do things via grit. And one of the names that I feel like um, is going is in that Marcus Smart mold right now is rookie Davion Mitchell, like for, for Sacramento, right? I feel like he's kind of been watching Marcus Smart play. And the reason I'm kind of coming full circle here is because you don't have that impact to usher in a generational type shift in the way guys kind of design their game to be impactful at the next level, unless you're one of the top three at your skill set, you know? So the, the top three defenders for the last, well, since 96 have like perceivably been big men. For Marcus Smart to do it as a guard and be a borderline top three defender in the NBA for three or four years, now we're starting to see the occasional guard kind of come into the league. Davion Mitchell being the first, I'm sure there's going to be more following him that are going to be more defensively based because they've seen that Smart's not only fought his way into being the starting guard, but he's he's going to be a starting guard on a team that could potentially be finalists by the end of the season. Davion Mitchell, nickname Offset, or Off Night, excuse me. One of my favorite nicknames of all time. Well, offset or Off Night? No, Off Night is, 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 is the actual nickname. Offset, I believe, is a member of Migos. So I, <laughs> it, it, as far as I know, Davion Mitchell is not a member of, of, of yeah. Migos, but Off Night is actually his nickname, which is fantastic. But you know, to the Marcus Smart point, you know, where you guys are talking about he does so much more than what you like traditionally think. That was part of, of Zach Lowe. And I believe it was Chris Herring who was on his podcast. They were talking about the all defensive team where Zach Lowe started. And anyone's listened to the Zach Lowe podcast, you know, when Zach Lowe gets like nerdily excited about something that he finds very, very specific that he enjoys watching. And he was talking about Marcus Smart boxing out bigs. And so not only is Marcus Smart, you know, guarding the, you know, the James Hardens or the other positional matchups that he's going up against on a night to night basis, but especially and even more so this year with the switching scheme, you know, the switching scheme that we, we play a lot of it is actually based on the fact that Marcus can switch up and can play against bigs. You know, like I was reminded of this in the Wizards game is one of my favorite Marcus Smart things is when he guards Chris Saps Porzingis, because in, in reality, if you just look at the two of them next to each other and theoretically the skill set that Chris Stapps Porzingis possesses, there is absolutely no way that Marcus Smart should be able to guard Chris Stapps Porzingis, yet he's done it for five years. And it's been a a matchup that if we end up with, quote-unquote, on an island, Porzingis versus someone like Marcus Smart, totally fine. Borderline even feels like a win. And I think that just is is a testament to to Marcus Smart this year and over the long term of his, his career as a defensive standout. 
Yeah. And what Adam, back to what you were saying earlier, you know, these guys that have the ability to kind of like usher in new eras of defenders and new eras of like the way people think about basketball and imagine the constructs of teams. Or when you think back to Draymond Green and how all of a sudden Draymond Green went from being this like role player on Golden State to a generational defensive talent and how like having him as a small ball five allowed the Warriors death lineup to be what it was even before they got Kevin Durant, right? The original death lineup that, that, that they had out there. And when you think about what Marcus Smart is now doing, right? if Draymond was a small ball five, Marcus is like the big ball one, right? Where he can play up. And I think there aren't many guards in the league that can do what Marcus Smart can, can do. Like even Davion Mitchell is too small to do what Marcus Smart can do. He like, he can't guard a five in a pinch. Drew Holiday, even as good as he is, I see him more as guarding one through four. I don't see him guarding one through five. I see Marcus literally guarding one through five. And he can't do it for a whole game, but you don't need him to, right? He's just one of those guys where you can't take advantage of him. And as the league gets more skill-based and these large wings and these like unicorn bigs that come into the league, you need guys like Marcus Smart. And he's becoming more and more valuable the more the game shifts and progresses towards this, um, you know, skill ball, not small ball, but skill ball. And Marcus as the big ball one, can we, can we coin that? Is that, is that something that we like? Yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah. The big ball one, I think he is the prototype. There's not one other guy in the league that can do what he does. I think the closest you're going to get is Pat Bev. Like we've seen Pat Bev match up with Kevin Durant in the playoffs when it was, um, it was the Clippers Warriors first round series a few years back. And uh, that was, a fantastic series, but Pat Bev was consider like regularly finding himself matched up with Durant, and I think that's the closest we've ever seen to another guard replicating that Marcus Smart style of like switchability and intensity. Now, obviously, you, if you see some of the Pat Bev interviews over the years, he feels like he's the better defender over Smart. Where you don't get into the NBA and be a consistent high-level role player without having ridiculous self-belief. It's like telling people you're the cool teacher. It's that self-belief that's important. <laughs> so, like, but for me, it's like, sorry, man, I'm just, people are catching shrapnel. That's well um, done. That's on your Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame tape right there. <laughs> that was a great um, but for me, it's kind of like, you can try and imitate what Smart does, and you can probably earn yourself a valuable six to eighth man career. Do you know what I'm saying? But you're not Marcus Smart. But then again, you can try and turn Grant Williams into a small ball five and a switchable wing that's going to stretch the floor and make high IQ decisions, but you're not Draymond Green. But we're seeing these kind of, like as you kind of point out, Draymond, we're seeing these guys bring, usher in new types of talent. Teams are looking at guys like, would you have seen Grant Williams getting drafted at all eight, nine years ago? Do you know what I mean? Because he's a little bit undersized. Does he's not really going to have much of a post game? The three point shot was only just at the beginning of its like um, acceptancy as being the more valuable shot profile. But Draymond Green changed the game, and then there was a path for the for the Grant Williamses of the world. Marcus Smart's changing the game, so there's going to be a path for even more non shooters that can defend at an elite level that you can hope can develop into a 35, 36% shooter down the line. And I think that's to me that's more valuable then whether or not you win the individual award because you're making significant change to the way the game is played for that next generation. On that note, though, do you guys think Marcus Smart wins the award? I mean, I think for me, 
defensive player of the year is a really, really hard uh, award to give out as to who it should be. Cause I think it's, you know, there's just so many different angles that you can approach it. Usually each year it feels like there's roughly two or three guys that you can make a really strong case for the metrics. Unfortunately, always, you know, kind of end up in Rudy Gobert's favor, which I'm, I'm very off Rudy Gobert. He's still a good defender. Don't get me wrong, but I, I just can't see that guy winning a, a fourth one when, you know, Utah's in collapse mode. So, you know, when you look around the league, Obviously, we're all going to be a little bit biased towards Marcus and even Robert Williams getting some love in this. But at the end of the day, do you think that, you know, his we talked about his kind of full press PR campaign that he's got going on, being on podcasts, being on ESPN, at the end of the day, do you think Marcus Smart walks away with the Defensive Player of the Year trophy? I'm going to say yes. I think the odds have kind of shifted in his favor as well. And I, I, I think literally the Vegas odds are now calling Marcus the favorite to win the award. I, uh, am I right on that? Did I see that correctly? Last I saw, I think he was, it was, it was something like him, Jaron Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, maybe Bam and Gobert. That was like something somewhere like that was the top five, but at least the last one I saw Marcus was at the top. And listen guys, this pod ain't no small time pod, right? We got, we got a big audience here. The Celtics have a huge reach. Celtics blog has a huge reach. I think the big ball one conversation definitely is going to push him over the top. Not going to lie. Like, I really feel like this conversation is gaining momentum for Marcus Smart. And Marcus, man, if you're listening, come on the pod, baby. Come on the pod. Yeah, Let's I mean, talk about it. everybody else is getting a 10-minute segment with Marcus Smart. I wouldn't mind one myself. Do you know what I mean? The three-man weave plus Marcus Smart, that can be the three-man weave with the wrecking ball. We could be like Miley Cyrus <laughs> in the three-man weave. I don't know how you want to swing. Yeah, we could, we I, I'll, I'll, I'll be a backup to Miley Cyrus slash Marcus Smart. I'm in that. We should, that about, should be his What about if we call it the, the three-on-one fast break where Marcus has to guard all three of us and he can do it? <laughs> yeah, oh, I reckon he's bodying all three of us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. fellas, I got to get out of here, though. This was fun. I doubt. Uh, I'm going to go back to being the cool teacher. It's only go, I can Go do cool things. <laughs> See you guys. Have fun. Get that Lauren Hill on the go, bro. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like when we're talking about Marcus, Mark, Greg's funny, man. It's always fun when Greg's like, <laughs> he makes me laugh, man. I love it. Especially, I love the pop-ins because then it just adds a whole new element to the conversation. Yeah. And it's like, and also at the same time, I was like kind of looking at the clocks. I knew roughly how much time he had. So I was like, all right, when's the, when's the last, when's that pivot going to come, you know? So it's a, it's a whole new energy that's in the chat. Yeah, but then you kind of like that energy drops a little bit and you're like, right, how, where do we go from here? <laughs> so I think this is a good time that we just run away to an ad break. And then when we come back, we can get used to the, the two-man weave, which isn't a two-man, the pick and pop. The that's pick what we and are. pop, the give and go, you never know. Because if you didn't know that Will is apparently a legit three-point shooter and I can set screens with the best of them. So we'll be back in a moment. Bunch of beautiful ads. Beautiful. beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful ads. Just so everyone knows, we don't know what the hell just rang because they get inserted after we upload the podcast. So yeah, if they were yeah. terrible, don't blame us. Yeah, and if it's something I don't support, I, I, I take that all back. <laughs> yeah, if I don't support it, then I don't know what I'm talking about at this point. I mean, yeah, so we've spoken, we've, I mean, we've just spent half the podcast talking about Marcus Smart. So I think we can move on a little bit. Uh, in fact, 
let me read out what Bill Simmons said at the beginning, like, you know, about nine minutes into his podcast with Zach Lowe earlier. Let me just load that up because I transcribed it. So I really, I thought it was interesting because he was talking about Jason Tatum's development. It interested me because whenever somebody speaks about Jason Tatum, I get interested. So it reads when I find it. The real thing is that Tatum, I don't know what happened. The game slowed down for him from a scoring standpoint. I'm sorry, Bill, but you can't say I don't know what happened and explain exactly what happened. I digress. <laughs> I think he's at a level now where he's entered the chat room with some of these other elite scorers and then the decision-making went to another level. You watch these dudes for years, hope they get it, and you start to give up on it. Then all of a sudden, they get it. You can see it, he can see it, the other team sees it, and they're doing all these things to knock him off, and he's just problem-solving all the time. So first things first, Bill Simmons, you did know what happened because you went on a nice, very concise explanation of what happened, but I get it. But I think the reason I've read that out is because for all of Tatum's scoring, all of his growth as a defender this season, I think people are starting to realise the area that he needs praise for is the way he's reading the floor. I mean, we're seeing some elite playmaking off this dude. Uh, that one where he had, he drew the double, I think it was against Washington, drew the double, hit that nice like roundabout pass to Al, who was cutting. It was because you had the Daniel Tice cut that dragged the defence away, then Al Horford trailed in, got the rant, got the bounce pass and then finished. Like, um, I don't know if you can remember that play. I can see it vividly in my head. For but, sure. um you know, just being able to read the defense to stay calm in like when the trap's on you and hit the pass on time while the trap's still there. Like Tatum's Tatum's playmaking to me is the number one. And I put a tweet out about this yesterday saying what's everybody's like biggest surprise this season. For me, that's the biggest surprise because we knew it was going to come. No one expected it to come all in one go so quickly. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked a lot about the beginning of the season when when Tatum's shooting was struggling, is that the sneaky secret, and it was hard to talk about because the Celtics were struggling as a team at the time, is that Jason Tatum's gotten better overall, you know? But it didn't it didn't necessarily feel like it because his main asset, and it will always probably be his main asset as it is for most top-tier superstars, is their scoring. And because that wasn't, and, and even the scoring, he was getting the total points with how he was getting there, the efficiency, the shooting numbers. All of that was down, and so it didn't. It felt like something was off. But when you really looked at it, it was a sneaky secret that's been developing all year. Is that Jason Tatum's overall game is jumping to that next level? And I can't remember who Zach Lowe had on during his most improved player award session, but even that was brought up as a topic of, hey, should we give Jason Tatum a look as most improved player? And that's how distinct it's become. And even think about you know our guy S from from Toronto that was on his. He, he had a couple questions lined up for us at the end of our interview with him. Number one thing he wanted to know about was was Jason Tatum's passing and you know how it got to where it's at. And a lot of that spoke to, you know, what Bill Simmons was talking about on the Zach Lowe pod about, you know, his ability to to read the defense. And and really for me, it just feels like the game is coming a lot slower to him in the sense that it's able it's slowed down for him the older he's gotten. He's he was so talented he could score at an elite level early on, but the game itself has started to slow down for him. And I think the older he gets, the more mature he grows in the way that he views not just the individual game, but the season, a series. And, you know, if you listen to him on the Draymond Green podcast, the way that he views, you know, his legacy and the NBA overall, he just has such a widened view, a widened scope of everything that, you know, right now you can you can feel it in this moment that he's having a moment and that he's rising up to eventually what that peak's going to hit probably in the next year or two, which is scary to think that we're not even there yet. Do you feel like, I mean, 
it's really hard because he doesn't have the size of the player I'm about to compare him to, but I just feel like the shooting stroke so similar, so smooth. The impact is very similar. Doesn't have the size. I don't think he's as tran- transcendent as this guy, but I do feel like there's so much Durant in his game. Oh, 100%. I mean, he makes some it's moves where... He makes some moves where I'm like, okay, that 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 was just a mini Kevin Durant. You know, he's had some of those pull ups in transition or on the break, and it's it it just it feels very Durant esque. And I think his size plays a role in that as well. And you talk if you listen to the Draymond Green podcast, he talked a lot about the conversations that him and KD had over the summer during Team USA as well. Yeah, I mean, he was basically saying like, "Yo, KD mentored me through that like experience." You know, KD was the one telling me, you need to be yourself. You need to take your shots. Don't worry about feeding me. I'll get mine. You go get yours. And Tatum basically turned up expecting to just be one of the guys and ended up being the second option on an Olympic gold gold medalist team. But yeah, okay, he came back and he was tired and the shots weren't falling. But they're falling. Excuse me, they're falling now. So like that just crept off on me. So like, um, (laughs) so you're like, man. Like when you think about everyone talking about he's in the MVP conversation, it's a shame he had a slow start to the year because he'd be a genuine MVP uh, or a genuine MVP candidate. Yeah, I completely get that. Completely fine with that. But as you said, I think most improved is also some form of recognition that he really needs. Now, what's wild is the Celtics have three guys that could be most improved right now. You know, you could go Grant Williams. He was leading the league in three-point percentage for a hot minute. He's been top five for most of the season. You could go Robert Williams, just stepping into his role as a starter, becoming one of the best defensive big men in the NBA. You can go Jason Tatum. So you've got three guys there that could all be viable, most improved player. Two of them in Tatum and Williams, uh, in Rob, sorry, in Rob Williams. Yeah, you got to uh, specify the Williams. Yeah, you have to specify, <laughs> yeah. Are both front runners for secondary individual awards as well. You know, we're not front runners, but they're in the conversation. Rob's one of the main conversations for DPOY as well because of his room, like room protection. Tatum's in that MVP type discussion. So you've got three guys for most improved, two of which are also in other conversations. Now, if that doesn't tell you that the this in, internal growth that everybody's been waiting on is actually happening right now, I don't know what more to say, man, because this is probably one of the most excited exciting times to be a Celtics fan since the like you know the the, the inception of the last big three. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, right? That as we get towards the end of the season, everyone starts kind of thinking about the awards and the culmination of the season, and the Celtics are going to be heavily represented in in just about every award discussion, and that's what a lot of the podcasts that you're seeing nationally take place right now are, are kind of centering around that. And so, if we just look around, like you know, all NBA. Tatum's going to be on that first or second team. I don't know which one it's going to be. I think a lot of it will depend if voters want to want to go Embiid and Jokic on that first team, or if some want to put one as the center and one as the center on the second team. You know, we'll, we'll see. I think that will kind of dictate where Tatum ends up, but he's going to be on one of those two teams. He's going to be on one of those two All NBA teams. We talked about Marcus Smart for Defensive Player of the Year. You know, Robert Williams is probably a fringe candidate for Defensive Player of the Year, but both of them are going to end up on either first or second team All Defense. I think Marcus is a guarantee for first team All Defense, and I think Rob could end up on either of the teams, but will for sure end up on at least one of the two. We just talked about most improved. I don't know that we're going to get any finalists in that, but certainly merit consideration. Both Williamses, Jason Tatum's in that category. And then you look at Coach of the Year. You know, Coach of the Year, Ime Odoka is going to be right in that mix. I think, you know, Taylor Jenkins, Monty Williams, Ime Odoka, maybe J.B. Bickerstaff, and um, 
uh, in Cleveland. Those are probably four guys that I think really jump to the front, but they're all going to be right there. And that's crazy to think about given where we were in the middle of the season, about 40 games in, to think that you're going to have about four to five different awards that are all going to have either one or multiple Celtics involved in it. So I think that just speaks volumes to the type of season and the type of turnaround that this team has had, that they're going to be so heavily invested come award season. Should Brad Stevens be in the conversation for executive of the year? Oh, that's a good one. I, I, I'll i be honest, that, that kind of caught me off guard. I had not really thought about that. I, I mean, I'd have to look through it and give it a little bit more thought. I mean, my, my gut instinct is to say that I think he actually deserves more credit than he probably than he it probably gets nationally. So maybe. I mean, I, I got to think about it more. But I but once again, that's another one of those ones at the very least. It's, it's in consideration and it's in the talks of that award, which once again, middle of the season would have seemed like insanity very realistic right now yeah i mean when i because I, I sat down and thought about this recently and i'm like right tied down rub to an extension before rub's value skyrocketed tied down marcus smart to an extension before marcus smart turned into this past first point guard extraordinaire and had a defensive player of the year caliber season um hired him Udoka, moved on from kemba brought back al horford who's been integral to the way the team's been playing Moved off of De- brought in Dennis Schroeder for pennies. Moved off and brought back Daniel Tice that is now playing a valuable role while Rob Williams is out. Like every move he's made, even Josh Richardson, even though he moved on from Richardson to bring in Derek White, which is another good pickup. Yeah. Like Josh Richardson was like ridiculously good value for the money you were paying. He was he really fit in well with what the team were trying to do. I don't feel like Richardson had too many bad games. Like obviously he's going to have some because he's yeah. not. I mean, he turned a rental into a long-term fit, though. You know, like like yeah. Richardson was was a rental. I know they they'd give him that one extra year, so he was two years. Derek Derek White's here for the next four years, and he's a guy that we've talked about. You know, like you said, Richardson wasn't a bad fit. I think White's a better and more stable fit for what this sure. team needs. Where you need to ride that baseline a little bit more. And with Richardson, the highs were great and the highs were awesome when when he was really good. But when he had a low and he had a stinker of a game, which, you know, White's not immune from, but it just hurts the team less. It's it's, it's kind of hard to describe. But when Richardson was having a bad game, you felt like it, it shifted the ecosystem of the Celtics in, in a way that if White's having an off night, he's still finding other little ways to contribute that, that keep his baseline of how bad of a game is going to throw off the rest of the team versus Richardson. And I think White's going to be a little bit more consistent. So you take a guy that, you know, Richardson, which, which by the way, Brad Stevens got with the leftover um, TPE that he had that brought in Fournier last year. We still had half of it left or a little, little less than half of it left. He used that at the buzzer, brought in Richardson, gave him a one-year extension, flipped that into Derek White, a few other assets, but flipped that into Derek White. And so you took this little bit of a TPE exception, turned it into Josh Richardson, rolled that over into a long-term fit in Derek White. And I think that's another part of, you know, Brad Stevens executive of the year case. So I, I don't know if he's going to win it, but I mean, we just listed what six, seven different items that, that go under, you know, his credentials for the award. So he's at least got to be in the convo. I mean, I saw, um, what's his name now from Barstool, Dan Greenberg. Tweet at, yeah. yeah. Green tweeted out earlier. Like, one of the most under-discussed aspects of this season is how fortunate the Celtics were that the Brooklyn Nets and Philadelphia 76ers never saw Ime Udoka as that guy. Because if they did, the Celtics wouldn't be where they are right now. Do you know what I mean? 
And I, I thought I was sitting there thinking like, that's true because it's not like the Celtics were a rebuilding team. I mean, they, they, they were a retooling team, but that's yeah. wildly different to being a rebuilding team. So, you know, he was coming into a situation very similar to what he could have walked into in Brooklyn, except the stars were more established and probably a little, probably similar to what you were going to walk into in Philadelphia as well. And having, you know, a rising star plus, another star that people don't think fit next to your star. Now, obviously, the Ben Simmons situation was wildly different to the Jaden Brown and Jason Tatum situation. But, like, that's super valuable as well, just, like, you know, in, giving him Aodoka the freedom to build his own coaching staff, like, not not trying to micromanage. Because I don't know about you, but one of my biggest concerns coming in was, is Brad going to be able to disassociate himself from the coaching side of the game mm-hmm. enough to allow Aodoka to be who he needs to be? Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. like, obviously, we're not there on a day to day. I have no intel on this, but I don't think Udoka in the coaching team would be would have been as successful as what they have been if Brad Stevens was micromanaging on that type of level. I just don't because micromanaging to me doesn't allow for that type of success. Well, from afar, we have to assume that that's not happening because him and Ime styles are are drastically different. You know, we looked at the beginning of the season when Ime was was calling out guys, was was calling out players after games every two to three weeks, and we were like, okay, maybe once, man, but but come on, like like take some of this behind closed doors. Like Brad Stevens, I don't think in his entire life has ever called anybody out in public. Never mind in a basketball game, he's never called out somebody for for being rude at a restaurant. You know, Brad Stevens is the type of guy that's just going to smooth it over. He's going to keep it nice and steady. Anything that happens, you will never know about it. Whereas Ime, you know, he, he talked about this. I can't remember what interview he was in. Celtics on a media tour. Uh, I think it might have been in The Athletic with Jay King, where he was talking about, I just am who I am. I'm going to be very transparent. I'm going to be very to the point. And that's going to be me in an interview. That's going to be me talking one-on-one with a player. That's going to be me addressing the team. Wherever you find me, I'm kind of a straight shooter. And that's what you're going to get. And so, you know, Ime being allowed to do that now we kind of see the building blocks that that he was putting into place that have, have come to fruition throughout the long term of the season. We've talked about it with the defense. We see it with some of his comments. And I think Brad Stevens allowing him to be him and do him is something that I think we can at least infer from a distance because it's very dramatically different styles. And so once again, another piece that Brad Stevens deserves credit for, and I think you weren't wrong for you know being like, hey, how is this going to work? Because it was kind of a – you don't see it very often – where especially a young head coach, it's one thing if it's, you know, if it were a Pat Riley or Greg Popovich that goes up to the, you know, t- to move into the front office position where it's, it's just kind of a transitional phase. Like Brad Stevens is, I don't know how old he is specifically, but him and Emi are about the same age. You know what I mean? So it's, it's one thing when he's making that transition and it's a guy who's the same age as you and you're not kind of moving into your, you know, your golden years. It's like, it's very realistic that Brad Stevens could have just taken a break. And if it, he didn't like what he saw halfway through, and to be honest, I don't want to say we called, we were calling for, it, but we wouldn't have been upset if he was like, all right, man, I tried it, man. I'm coming back to the bench. Like that always felt like it was kind of lingering around, but in reality, they seem to be working very well and Brad's very hands off and it's like, he may be email. And I think that's what's like, you know, that's another reason why Brad should be looked at as executive of the year, of the year, simply because of the transition he had to go through and like the way he had to adapt to being hands off and allowing another coaching staff to coach in a way that maybe he doesn't, you know, he, he said during one of the uh, press conferences he did mid season, like 
hey, it's not, you know, I prefer things to be kept in-house behind closed doors, but I understand that everybody do it that way. And I've got to let MA be the coach that MA is and do it the way he sees fit. So that must be tough as well. Like having success with that roster yourself. Okay, the last season he was there weren't great. We all know how that went. But his coaching career as a Celtics coach, I know some people will be like, if you don't win a championship, you're a failure. I understand that. I don't agree with that mentality, but I completely understand it. From my standpoint, Brad Stevens was a very successful successful coach for the Celtics. Ushered in a whole new load of like a whole new wave of talent, helped develop them, and then he's passed it over to Emmanuel Doka. And for anyone that says a coach doesn't play a part in player development, look at the way Tatum approaches the game this year compared to what he did last season and the season before. Udoka put him in positions that took him out of his comfort zone and forced him to develop. And that's playing a part in player development. Look at the way that Grant Williams, I understand, for me, I feel like most of Grant Williams' improvements are down to Grant Williams because he did that in the offseason away from the team for the most part. But it, Ime Udoka still has to put him in positions to be successful. You, you know what I mean? You have Rob to... Williams. Rob Williams is a huge example of that. I mean, look at yeah. look at the impact he's had. You know, like, obviously... He may, he may didn't teach him to have the athleticism that he has, but to put him in the position to go ahead and make the plays that have made this defense so dynamic throughout the year, that's all coaching. Yeah, putting him in that free safety role, allowing him to be able to roam, allowing him to be able to help off and protect the room that way. That's all coaching. It's all X's and O's. And then you have, like, you know, um, the, the, the coaching staff he brings in that are all known for being developmental guys, which allows Udoka to focus on the bigger picture while other guys are working on the day-to-day developments. I think this team as a whole deserves like most improved franchise just from what, well, no, do you know what? I say that and then instantly my brain's like, now nah, that was a real award. The Memphis Grizzlies deserve Yeah, that. the Grizzlies probably, that's where yeah. Taylor, that's where I think, you know, I, that's why I said for coach of the year, Taylor Jenkins is going to be in that combo as well. But I yeah. mean, most dramatic turnaround in season, which is definitely not in a war, but could be. And I'm going to keep talking like this because maybe it could be a thing. <laughs> the U-turn award. Yeah, the U- Ah, there we go. Now we're and talking. Oshin needs, right? needs to be the one to hand it out. <laughs> you Put can just dance up, up to the stage. Bend your knees, around <laughs> in a circle, get down with me. Sorry. All right, well, we need to chop that video, so that needs to go on the internet. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Adam, can we get can we get like a reel or um, a TikTok? That's video not seeing the light of day, bro. That's not seeing the light of day. Yeah, if, um, if, you, if you're watching this on YouTube, please. Well, it's gonna be on YouTube. So it's gonna be on the, that is no, 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 no. It's gonna be on there. We we put up everything 100 yeah. real. So if you see if you see this, feel free to go ahead and just we're not we're not gonna be mad at you. Go ahead and yank that video from mad. YouTube and put it to some music, please. I'll be mad. I'll be heartbroken. I'll be offended. I'll be, nah, just do what you want, man. I don't mind people having a bit of a laugh at my expense. Do you know what? That actually, if you're making jokes at my expense, it means that you're enjoying the show enough to go and create content that's funny. So, you know, I'm not going to be tripping over that. Yeah, and if you I don't usually that, go to our YouTube page, this is a great time to go ahead and go to Adam Taylor's YouTube well, page. What are they missing? The they video. don't know what they're missing. Exactly. So they got to go check it out. So if you're just listening and you're usually just a straight listen, you know, type of guy, type of gal, you don't usually go to the YouTube page. You're missing Adam breaking it down right now throughout this entire episode. Adam so got go no check it out. Rhythm. Adam got no <laughs> rhythm. I don't know. Man. I, saw, I saw a little bounce right there. I can see the bounce. Yeah, it's not that type of bounce. So. <laughs> That's just because I'm overweight. Um <laughs> Right, everybody, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure you go and share it on social media. 
um, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, share it on Reddit, share it on Facebook, share it on Skywriting Plane, share it on Create Your Own App, share it on there. No one's going to see but how you created an app, man. That needs to go on your resume. That, you're on the road to big things right there. As usual, make sure you go follow my boy Will Weir over at Willbun13 on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you go. My Instagram's been blowing up recently, so make sure you go over to there um, and help me continue to increase that follow account. I genuinely believe by the end of this month that'll be my biggest social media account. I think that's going to surpass my Twitter account by the end of the month, which is uh, surreal considering I've been building that Twitter account for about four and a half years. <laughs> I've been building the Instagram account properly since the end of January. Is what it is. Make sure you go follow me there. Make sure that you enjoy the show and we will catch you again on Friday when we talk about more Celtics goodness and we'll have games to talk about. That's right. If Can't I remember wait for it. correctly, won't there be a game on Friday? So we get, well, so once again, uh, English brain, Celtics will play the Bulls on Wednesday, Wednesday night and then play and the, the, the Milwaukee Bucks on Thursday. So the show will probably be a little bit late on Friday because I'm assuming we're going to record in the morning so that we can kind of talk about that back to back and it's all it's hopefully all of its awesomeness. Until then, well, my guy, man, we've had a fun podcast. I've laughed. This has been a wild roller coaster of a podcast, man. <laughs> yeah, the U-turn award. We got Big Ball One. We got Greg being a cool teacher, but then we have to question if he's a cool teacher. Not very intimidating. Don't 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 play into his ego. He's not intimidating. Then we got the pick and pop, the develop the, 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 the rise, pick and pop, the, pick the and give pop. and go, the three man weave. Man, we got we got Marcus Smart coming on for the three on one. We got it all. I can't wait. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating.